Another episode of Sunday Golds Florida State Baseball continues to roll on here in its 2022 season. Ariel Masudi, Brett Nevitt, thank you guys so much for joining us. And you guys have been loyal all year long. We are on Apple Pods. We're on Spotify. We appreciate your five-star reviews. And, and we really appreciate the questions all season long. I know um, Florida State's been up and down this season. It's really been the theme. And uh, Brett, I think uh, in this podcast, we'll, we'll touch on some TCU and how the Knowles looked. Uh, very strong and definitely looked like a regional caliber program there that could host this season. Um, and we'll touch on, you know, the loss to Stetson there in the middle of the week and uh, an important opportunity here against Boston College as the Knowles get back into ACC play and wind down their year with a couple of important series if they really do want to make a run at hosting in Tallahassee this year for the NCAA tournament. But Brett, uh, just uh, I guess we'll, we'll keep it chronological and start with TCU. We're doing this over Zoom, so thank you guys for your patience and, and I apologize if we have any lagging issues or any audio problems, but Brett's in Tampa getting ready to fly out to uh, Boston for the weekend to cover that series. And I'm back here in Tallahassee getting ready to, uh, to, to actually take a weekend off from baseball and, and call some pro soccer in South Florida. So I'll be down there doing some NWSL games this weekend and trying to keep, trying to keep a tabs on Florida state and Boston college. But before we get to that, Brett, uh, TCU, you win two games and you had a chance for a third that got rained out ultimately. And, not an official game, but my takeaways from the weekend were that when FSU is clicking on all cylinders, that is a program that can make a deep run and make it to Omaha. Yeah. I mean, I think the first two games kind of went as, as well as you could have scripted it for them. Um, I mean, Friday, they just, they got to Cornelia. I don't think he recorded it now and they had timely hits and they got, you know, hits and production from Lacey and Terrell, which, I talked about last week and you just have to have that for this team to, to go the way they need to go. Um, so it was good to see that. Good to see those guys make good swings. Uh, it was good to see them jump out again and it, you know, early um, on Friday, like they had done, you know, the couple weekends prior. Um, yeah. Like you said, I mean, when it clicks, it obviously looks really good, but it's just these inconsistencies that seem to not be improving over not just the course of this season, over the course of the last few years that are kind of just starting to really concern me and make me wonder exactly what we're going to see. I mean, every I think every day we show up to the ballpark, we don't really know, at least, you know, on the road, we have no idea what we're going to see. But for the TCU series, obviously, I think that was really promising. It shows that this team can be any, beat anyone at home. And, I mean, Parker Messick's best pitcher in the country. I think we knew that. And it was just more of a validation. I mean, he completely dominated TCU. I mean, he just, I think going into the start, I, I told you, I thought it might be his best start ever. And it, he was just, I mean, it was as easy as it looked as dominant as it, as it could get. And it was just fun to watch. Without a doubt, 14 strikeouts, Brett, for the third time this season. Uh, guys don't, set career highs, you know, usually multiple times in a year. Um, and he continues to be pretty immaculate. And Parker's the kind of kid that I think sets goals for himself. Um, and I asked him that question, you know, I was doing the broadcast this weekend with ACC Network Extra. And I asked him that, you know, earlier in the week, I said, well, how do you, when you've accomplished so much, how do you continue to push the envelope, right? How do you push the pace and he said, I just challenge myself. And, and he said, mentally, you know, it's 99% of learning how to play at this level from high school to college. And 
I think Parker's football background, Brett, has really kind of paved the way for him to be a competitor that I don't think we've seen at Florida State in a while. He really is special as a competitor. And uh, we sat there right in that press conference Friday night after his start. And I asked Meet that question about, do you ever allow yourself to just be a fan and enjoy a pretty super, uh, I don't say supernatural, but a pretty special performer on the Hill. And he said he was starting to, you know, get a little emotional because he's realizing that there aren't too many more Parker Messick starts in Tallahassee. Uh, Cause that kid's going to go a very, very long way in the minor leagues. And he's probably going to get called up to the majors in the not too distant future, but right. I'll throw that back to you. And I know we've talked about Parker. It feels like a hundred thousand times in the last two years, but do you ever just kind of sit there and go, I'm getting the chance to cover one of the all-time greats in Florida state history. Yeah. I think last couple of Parker's starts at home at Hauser. Um, I've sat outside the press box kind of just to take it in and take in the energy that he brings to the whole, not just to the team, but to the whole stadium and just asserts himself against other teams. You know, he hasn't allowed a run in his last four starts at Hauser. I think that's over 28.2 innings. And I think three of those teams are ranked. I mean, the strikeout numbers are ridiculous. He's only walked 12 guys. That's the thing coming into the year that was the most important for him, I think, was the walks. You know, they weren't bad last year, but he just wanted to have ultimate com- command. And the biggest thing with Parker is he just doesn't let anyone beat him, really. It's just kind of that relentlessness. I mean, he's just relentless and doesn't let, doesn't give in, doesn't, even when he falls behind to guys, he just battles his way back. Um, the thing that was really encouraging for me, you know, a lot of this year we've seen teams kind of load up on right handed hitters against Parker. I think TCU had five lefties, a couple of switch hitters, and a couple of righties. Um, you know, Parker actually does have reverse splits. He's usually better against righties because of his changeup. But on, you know, against TCU, he was lights out with his slider and his curveball. I thought it was the best both those pitches have ever looked. I think most of his K's came on both those pitches. Um, didn't have to use the changeup nearly as much as he usually does. I mean, that's still Parker's best pitch and probably one of the best pitches in the country. But, you know, he showed just how many different ways he can get guys out, how many different ways he can get, you know, righties, lefties, anyone out. I mean, it's just ridiculous. At any, I mean, hitters have no idea what's coming at any point. He's four pitches for strikes, four pitches that are all plus pitches at, at points. And, um, and you combine all that with the competition and the competitiveness, I mean, and just the way he goes out there, like the bulldog he is, it's just, it's just fun to watch. It's hard not to just enjoy it at certain points, especially when you're up as big as they are um, this past weekend and that start, uh, you kind of just knew that Parker was going to take over the game after that. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of times in the booth calling the game Friday, Brett, that myself, Alex powers, Chip Baker are having to take deep breaths <laughs> as Messick is just mowing through people because I mean, it, it, there are times and it's efficient, right? Like he doesn't get no, a lot of full counts. He battles. And I remember thinking, yeah, don't mess up the call because the kid's pitching lights out. He deserves for you to be on your a game too, as a broadcaster. And so um, you mentioned it, he gets better as the game goes along. It's like, if you don't figure him out in the first three innings and find a way to get some hits while he's trying to retool and readjust and kind of chip away at you, you're not going to get to him in the sixth and the seventh. Like that kid is not someone that it's like, okay, third time through the order, we're going to make an adjustment and figure him out because by then it's too late. And that's what makes him special. It's very clear that this level 
of pitching or this level of hitting is not suitable for him anymore. Like he's ready for, for a bigger challenge for his own development. But um, if Florida state makes a deep run into postseason and into Omaha, it's because Parker Messick led the way on the mound. And it feels like the swagger he plays with the team kind of uh, absorbs that in the lineup. And when Florida state had that big inning to kind of give him some breathing space um, and they did it early, right. Uh, that's when you kind of had the feeling, all right, the Knolls are going to be in good shape tonight. So give him credit. Uh, Ross Dunn, I thought, looked really good out of the bullpen. Um, they continue to try and figure him out and find a role for him, Brett. What do you see being the the most optimal usage for Ross Dunn? Because it seems like out of the pen, he's a little bit more comfortable than when he is asked to go out there and then start a game. I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what to expect from Ross anymore. Um I mean, he was looked as good as he's ever looked on Friday night, but it came in a 10-0 lead. Um, and then, you know, Tuesday he was what he was. I mean, we always know what the stuff is going to be there, but it just – you don't know exactly how consistent it's going to be. It's My worry with him out of the bullpen is are you consistently going to get strikes? Um, as a starter right now, you don't really feel like you're going to get efficiency and – I don't know. I, I just, you think you got, at some point you got to throw him in there in a high leverage spot and just test it out because you have to find out at some point. I mean, obviously 10, 10, zero is, is a bit different. And I mean, that was really nasty. It was, it looked like something clicked for him. Um, but then Tuesday, you know, a couple of hit by pitches with two strikes and two ounce, you just can't do that. And then, you know, after an error hangs a breaking ball to a nine hole hitter with two strikes and, and that gets banged. Um, there's just certain things that Ross is doing right now. That's holding him back from being what he can be. And because of that, I don't really know where you go with him exactly the rest of this year. They keep trying to figure that out, right? Like the, the Sunday spot, the midweek spot. Uh, I know we had some questions and then we'll get to some fan questions in a little bit on this pod, but some people were wondering, you know, why the struggles on Sunday and in the midweek. And I think Sunday and midweeks are two different things, right? Like I, I don't think those are, you can't really pair them together. Um, and midweeks are going to end here soon anyway. And Florida state's not going to have to worry about them. You really are just one pitching staff pitching on a weekend uh, once you enter the postseason. But uh, Ross, I think is a super important part of this picture in this puzzle for Florida state, Brett. I really believe that. Um, I've been saying this now for a couple of weeks and again, I'm not a coach. So really my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, but I would love to see them put Carson and Ross in the bullpen and try and just figure out a game three with what you have available and piece it together, be to be announced TBA every single Sunday or every single game three. And if Jonas Scalaro is available on a Sunday, he's shown you he can go out there and he can start a game fresh and give you three to five innings of, of quality baseball on the mound. And um, if, if you know you've used Jonah Friday or Saturday, then maybe you go uh, to, to a Ross or a Carson if they haven't been used. But I think you have to piece them together. Like it's not something where you say this guy is the Sunday guy and you just kind of go out there and I, cause the, the name of the game for me, man, is you have to win games ultimately. And you can't worry about a game three until you worry about game one and two. So I'd like to have all my pieces available um, 
really for that game two, because I think you're going to always be in good shape in game ones with the pen uh, because of the way Parker pitches. But what are your thoughts on that in terms of going with Parker Bryce and then just kind of see where it goes in a game three and after that? Yeah, I thought for about a month or so now that they should just go into weekends with the Sunday starters, TBA and um, you know, as of now this weekend, they're listed TBA Saturday and Sunday. You know, I think that's, I think Bryce is still going to start this weekend, but just wanted to see after he started last Sunday instead of Saturday. Um, I'm sure they're just trying to see where he's at and what day is going to work best for him. But yeah, I think just flexibility is the biggest thing. Um, not just regular season, but especially postseason. And, you know, I think I said this on the last podcast, but if, if you don't win one of the first two games and your postseason's over. So um, I think relievers are relievers in game one and game two are more important than your starter in game three, because, you know, if you don't have a good bullpen in game one and game two, you're not getting to a game three. Um, with Carson and Ross, they both have shown inconsistency this year. It's just been, it, it's tough. You have to, at some point you have to get them, into those high leverage spots. I know Carson's done it a couple of times, but I mean, hasn't had to throw a full bullpen, a full inning out of the bullpen yet. Um, and I, it's just, I don't know for sure right now. I think the one thing, you know, you're going to get is you're going to get Parker to be really good. Um, I still believe in Bryce and I still trust Bryce. Um, and I think you can hundred percent trust Wyatt Crowell. I think you can hundred percent trust Whitaker. I think for the most part, you can trust Davis, and you know what you're going to get out of other guys like Jonah. Um, it's just Ross and Carson are those X factor guys and to go along with Ballmeister, but you know, Ballmeister might be out for a little bit right now because of his ankle, but there's just still a lot of moving pieces. And it really worries me that at this point of the season, I mean, it's May 5th and, and rules aren't defined. Um, and I understand a lot of that is early in the year that, you know, there were a couple of injuries and they've been trying to figure different things out, but to me, you just, by this point, you really would have hoped that some roles were defined and it feels like in the bullpen, there's not a single role defined yet. Um, and that just, it, it scares, scares me. I don't, I don't know how you figure it out and with just three weekends left. Without a doubt, you know, and I didn't even mention Wyatt Crowell and, and Connor Whitaker who have been two of your more consistent arms in that bullpen all year long. Dude, Wyatt Crowell has been, insanity out of the pen his last two opportunities against Clemson against TCU but it only I think aids my argument that I think on Sundays you will have enough quality arms to piece something together right like Crowell shown you he can go four to five and, and do it well and uh, Connor Whitaker is definitely built up to be able to go four to five innings and, and pitch well so I'd like them to get through Friday and Saturday win both of those. And I think this offense is good enough, Brett, where on a game three, it can take advantage of some, some arms that are probably not on the high end for the other team. Yeah. And I a hundred percent think that Wyatt and Connor could both start Sundays and be good starters. It's just, you know, with Wyatt, I mean, you have to have him in the bullpen the first two games, you can't go in into a weekend and just say, you know, we're not going to use Wyatt until Sunday because White's just so good against lefties. I mean, he's really good against righties too, but I mean, he's unhittable against lefties. You got to have him down there to get guys down in big situations, you know, you know, see what it's just, you know, if, a, if a starter ever goes short, that's your bridge guy and you got to have him down there, 
you know, he's a valuable piece. I know he struggled on Sunday against TCU, um, but he's shown you over and over again this year that, you know, he can come in at any point in the game and he's just going to throw strikes. And that's really big out of the bullpen, especially in the postseason. Um, so, yeah, it's just – I definitely think at the end of the day there's enough arms to get through every weekend. It's just how you're going to pair them, how you're going to do that, how you're going to match up with them. Don't know exactly. Um, you need some other guys to step up too, though, I think. I think you need like a Jackson the zoo to step up. I mean, he showed in the summer that he can do it. You need him to be better. You need, you know, a Dylan Simmons to get some righties out for you. There's just – there's guys that need to step up and there's roles that need to be defined. And like I said, it's, it's really tough that we're still saying these things on May 5th. Yeah. And I think that's right. That's something they're going to have to figure out over the next three weeks, because you can't go into the postseason and kind of still feel it out and see what happens, you know? And that's why you still have a couple of weeks left to, to try and figure it out. It's a good place to start right though, with Parker Messick and, I know Bryce is Bryce hasn't been that level um, that he I think we all thought he would be, and he certainly started off pretty hot this season. And um, not that he's been bad; it's just that I think even he would tell you he thinks there's another gear for him to get into. Um, and maybe you get that as the season winds down. But that's a good one-two punch right there. And um, I think you know it pivots towards the the lineup. And let's talk about the batting lineup because it has been it's been far more up and down than the pitching staff this year. And at home, uh, you and I have talked about how I think this FSU team, I personally believe that we need to host to really have a good shot of making it to Omaha. Um, Not just because of historical reasons, but because I think this team plays at a different level in Hauser than it does away from Tallahassee. And that could be the crowd. It could be the focus. I'm not sure, but for this team's personality, it feels like being on Mike Martin field makes a major, major difference. Yeah. I mean, they've showed that over and over again this year. It's a little weird because last year FC was way better on the road than they were at home. And that to me felt like a focused thing on the road where they kind of, you know, got away from Tallahassee and, you know, had to do certain things on a road trip. Um, but this year it's just, you know, I think the inconsistencies on the road have come because, you know, a combination of a lot of things, um, you know, I think energy for one, um, at times it feels like there's a little panic, um, between, you know, coaching moves and also the way the guys play on the field. Um, but I just actually want to hit on Bryce real quick too. Like you talked about him. Um, Bryce has just had a really weird year. I mean, he threw a lot in the summer, um, you know, after throwing a lot in last spring, I think he's had like four starts this year that have either been delayed or pushed back a day. And, you know, this past week he was sick Uh, on Sunday. He was still pretty sick and going through it. Um, He just hasn't looked right for the last month um, with this stuff. At at the end of the day, Bryce is still hovering around a three ERA. I mean, that's really good. I think if you had told us that before the year, we definitely would have taken it, but it's just the fact that, like you said, we know, Bryce can be just as good at Parker at times and even consistent consistently at time when his stuff is going right. Um, so it's been a little disappointing. I mean, especially the K numbers recently, I don't really know what's going on there, why he's not getting swing and misses anymore. I mean, he would had the most strikeouts in the Cape. Um, I think he had, you know, the, the lowest batting average against in, in the ACC last year. 
Um, it's been a little bit confusing to watch Bryce last month or so, but at the end of the day, you know, you're going to get strikes from him. Um, and for the most part, you know, you're going to get efficiency from Bryce. You just, you need these, you need the swing and misses to come back. Um, you need the fastball to get that little bit of extra ump on it. Uh, you know, I think one big thing for Bryce is not letting the curveball and the slider kind of merge together into one pitch. You know, I think if he can get some more, um, if he get can get a bigger gap of difference in, in those two pitches, that's going to help him a lot. And like I said, one to two more miles per hour in his fastball will give it that little extra ride to it and get above hitter, uh, hitter's bats instead of, you know, hitting the barrel. Yeah, and I think you're going to need both of those guys, right? Parker, I think, you know, has been consistent, but if FSU does have a, a legitimate chance of getting – to Omaha, Bryce is going to have to give you some consistency. And everything we talked about with uh, game threes really goes out the window if game two, uh, Bryce isn't able to kind of give you what we expect of him, right? So um, <clears throat> that'll be important for FSU. Um, on the lineup side of things too, Brett, it was good to see Logan Lacey get back into it a little bit. He was inching his way back and he finally broke out. The big three-run home run, I think, you know, changed the, the course of the game for Florida state, obviously. And, um, that's a kid you've said it all along for FSU to be at its best with this current roster. They're going to need Logan Lacey to hit. Yeah. And I think I thought Logan made a lot of better decisions at the plate this past weekend. Um, you know, I thought a lot of his struggles had been coming because of pitches that he wasn't swinging at rather than the ones he was swinging at, you know, a lot of takes early in counts and just in a lot of bad hitters counts at the end of the day, you know, I don't think bat talent just disappears out of nowhere completely. Like you don't just all of a sudden go from a 305 hitter to not being to able to hit the ball at all. So, you know, I think a lot of that was pitch selection and, and not as much about, you know, the bat talent with him. Um, but I mean, that Saturday game, third baseman robbed him of basically three hits um, in his first three at bats. And it was like, is Logan ever going to get a hit again? Is he just going to, I mean, is it, is it even possible? Um, and then, you know, he rips that ball over the left field fence and I can only imagine a sigh of relief for him. And even that whole dugout, just seeing him do that. Um, you know, I thought he hit a good amount of balls pretty hard in the weekend. I thought Alex looked his approach looked way, way better. Um, he looked like he got out of this pull happy zone. Um, you know, he has had a bunch of doubles and a bunch of extra base hits, a lot of hard hit balls, to center field and the opposite field. These last, this last, these last, I think five games or so, and he's not swinging and missing too much either. Um, There's a lot more foul balls on pitches that he had been swinging and missing on. And I know, you know, foul ball is not going to do anything for your team at the end of the day, but for me, whenever guys are in slumps, you know, I think the, the pitches that they've been swinging and missing on, and then you foul them off. I think that is an indicator of someone that's starting to get back into the groove of things and starting to figure things out again and seeing the ball better. Um, you know, he's, he's laying off more pitches below the zone, which had been a big issue for him for a while between changeups and sliders. Um, so I think Alex is, is starting to, starting to turn it back on. Um, you really need him to put a bunch of balls over that right field fence. Um, I mean, he got one taken away from him in, in the canceled game on Sunday. That would have been his 13th of the year. Um, you know, all the stats gone out the window when that game gets called in the fourth. Uh, but you know, one other guy I wanted to mention was Reese, you know, five RBIs tied a career high on Friday. Um, it's been awesome to watch his transformation this year, really. You know, he just 
struggled like crazy the last two years after the injuries and was really struggling mentally too, I think, to kind of figure out, you know, where he was. Uh, I mean, before the shoulder injury, Reese was probably a top five round pick and probably top 10 round pick at, at worst. And, um, you know, I think Reese has kind of accepted now that, you know, he's probably not going to be a, you know, a high level pro pro ball player, but, you know, he can still make an impact for this team. He's cut down his swing basically com- like completely in half and, you know, it's taken away his power, but, you know, he's on base all the time. He's slapping balls to the opposite field. Um, you know, I thought he got his first home run of the year when he hit that ball off the top of the fence. Um, you know, I think he and you both thought it was gone too. I think he bat flipped and you had a pretty good call going for it, but, um, you know, the, he just seems like he's in a really good spot right now. I mean, he came into the press conference on Sun on Saturday or no on Friday night. And it was just like, this guy's very relaxed. He, he knows his role. He's here to do a job and he's just having a good time. He's having fun. And it's just, it's just been fun to watch for me after the struggles he had the last two years. And, um, it's just, you don't see guys cut down swings like that often anymore in baseball. So. Yeah. You know, talking to Reese earlier that week, getting ready for our broadcast, you know, we, we were chatting about Logan Lacey and was there any advice or any experience that he could draw from to help Logan kind of get through just like having a tough time, right. And having a tough stretch at the plate and, Reese was saying how like learning how to step away from baseball sometimes when it's going tough can really make a difference. And, you know, for him, it was, he he could have been a very high draft pick, right? Like in middle of his career after his sophomore year, like he was trending towards being a top five round guy. And um, I think when you put that much pressure on yourself, learning to kind of compartmentalize the sport and understand that like baseball is not you, you're not, it's not your identity. Like that's not who you are. It's just what you do. And, you know, you might be really damn good at it, but that is just part of your life. Like it shouldn't be your life. And, and he was telling us about how he would wake up for years and it's like, well, I can't do this because I got baseball or I can't worry about this today or I have to do this tomorrow. And it's scheduled around some kind of baseball activity. And for him to kind of totally step away from it and realize that baseball was just, like I said, just an element of your life. And it wasn't who you are. You're Reese, right? Like you're not just Reese Albert, the, the center fielder. You're, you're Reese and, you, and your friends know you as Reese and you're a, a brother and, uh, or a son or a cousin or a boyfriend or whatever. And, and he had to learn that, right? The long way over his career. And I think Logan too took that time off. But to hear Reese say that was just like, man, that's a kid who completely is at peace, right? With who he is right now and, and where he's at at Florida State. And um he's back, man. That clutch gene has been activated. The Reese Albert, fat Albert, hey, 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 the animals do. Uh, that, that gene has been activated. And, you know, we always talk about runs in, into the postseason and there's always that timely hit, right, Brett? Like there's always the big base hit. I mean, every time Reese Albert comes to the plate with guys on base, I think it enters everyone's mind that he's about to come through clutch. And this weekend he did it time and time again. I mean, if you had told me before the year that Reese was going to be hitting 323 at, you know, the beginning of May, I probably would have told you, I mean, we probably are what the top, top five team in the country, but he's pretty solidified. And I mean, he's also got 424 on base percentage. Um, I mean, he's, he's given you everything and more 
Um, 12 doubles. I mean, he's played solid in, in center. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's like I said, it's just been fun to watch a kid kind of have a resurgence like that. Um, one other guy I mentioned is Tibbs. Uh, I thought James just continues to swing the bat really well. And man, he's just, he's so talented. Um, you know, every time he makes contact, it's most of the time the ball is absolutely hammered. Um, you know, I think the home run he had on Saturday, um, you know, it pretty much was a no doubter, but I still felt like he got under it a little bit. Like it didn't sound like that perfect contact that James makes at times. And I think it still went like 390 feet or 398 feet. Um, he's just special with the bat, the special bat power. And I mean, it only took a couple of rounds of BP for me to realize that because I mean, he puts balls halfway up the scoreboard, the opposite field with just flicking his wrist, basically. Um, he's going to be really good. He's going to be really, really good for his career at Florida state. Uh, he just keeps getting better right now. Uh, and he's got, you know, 19 extra base hits on the years now. Um, it doesn't feel like he's striking out too, too much anymore either. Um, starting to put together some really good ABs, starting to draw some walks. Um, just been really good to see him kind of trending upwards in the second half of the season. Cause you know, you usually expect freshmen to start to tail off this point of the year. Um, but it feels like James is just getting better and better as, as the year goes on. Yeah, him and Jaime, I think combined started to figure things out there as the weekend went along. And I, again, that, that one game that got canceled on Sunday, Jaime hit a big hit uh, to bring home a run. And uh, you're starting to see him readjust, you know, uh, when you come in as a freshman, you might surprise some people because they don't have a book on you and you can ambush fastballs and feel really good about yourself. But as the season winds and, and people start to figure you out a little bit, you do have to counter punch. And I think Jaime is starting to learn how to do that. James has been doing that now for a couple of weeks and you're going to need both of those guys to play at a high level because they're everyday uh, guys. And I think they're going to be everyday players in that lineup. But I, I think the big thing with Jaime was just that he was proud. I just think he was tired a bit. Like he's the only guy on this team that started every game. Um, I think that week off, you know, for exams helped him a bunch. Uh, I thought he looked way fresher, looked a lot better. Um, swings looked really good. Um, yeah, end of the day, Jaime is going to hit his line drives. He's going to put together his good ABs, and it's going to take a whole lot of hit by pitches. Doesn't really move out of the way of any pitch, which, you know, I know the coaching staff loves. Coaching staff loves that about him. He's he's tough and plays hard, and um, he's developed really quickly in right field this year after coming in as as a catcher. But you know, with the needs of this team and and him not being ready behind the plate, he's made that quick adjustment to the outfield and shown off his athleticism there. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's, – it's it's a fun fun pair of freshmen to watch in the lineup every day. Yeah, and I think another name, too, that we've both been excited about, and how about Brett Roberts getting that home run? He, he really needed it. And that's another kid. You've said it, I think, um, a couple times on this pod, that you think, like, from a pure bat skills point, right, from pure bat talent, that Roberts might be your most advanced hitter at the plate. Like, he has the best skill set, and – if he continues this way, right? Like you're going to be able to have a, a pretty good lineup for the, for the stretch of the season. They, they really need to just let B Rob get into pull mode. In my opinion. Um, I mean, he showed that's where his power is um, when he hit that home run. He's just that that's where his strength is. I, I mean, when he gets the bat out in front, it, he's going to impact the ball a lot. And B Rob's hands are good enough to be out on the fastball, but also still, 
you know, be able to stay back on, on the off-speed pitches. I just, I watched B. Rob all summer hit with a wood bat against college pitching in the Cape and he's very easily makes adjustments, put the ball in play and just, you know, he's going to hit his balls at the opposite field, but the, the pull side is where he does damage. And, you know, if he can stick there, I think more homers will come. Um, it just felt like for a while that he had been trying to push everything to the opposite field because, you know, that is what the approach is for this, for, you know, for this coaching staff for me is to go to the opposite field, but, you know, B Rob got into kind of a push mode rather than letting it happen naturally. And you could see it. There's times where he would kind of get out on his front foot and, and, and push his hands through the ball instead of just throwing the barrel at it. Um, if he just throws the barrel at the ball, I think he's going to impact the game. Um, and I really hope they keep him at one or, you know, top two in the order because, you know, I've been saying for a while this year, I, you know, B Rob struggled with guys on base. I mean, that, if you look at the numbers, it says that, but at the end of the day, B Rob gets on base. He's, he's athletic. He's, he's a good base runner. I know he struggled early in the year, but you know, he's been a good, a good base runner this second half of the season. Um, he can impact the game with his legs. He's not going to clog up the bases or anything. Um, so I really like him in that two spot. I hope they keep him there. Um, and I hope they kind of let him open up that, that pull side power and, and, and just, if he keeps throwing his barrel at balls and, and instead of pushing it to the opposite field, I think he'll trend in the right direction. Well, Brett, should we talk a little bit about Boston college here? I mean, Florida state clearly at home, a really good team on the road. It's been a different animal. I don't know how much you want to spend time on the Stetson game. I really, for my own personal mental health, I would I would like to not talk about it. I was I was at Madso with a couple of friends trying to f- watch that, and I was losing my cool. I think throughout the game, and not a good look for me. So I'm going to let you touch on it. I'll let you. You were at the game. And then we're moving on because I, I have no interest in rehashing what happened in Deland. Yeah, I'll talk about it. Um, it was embarrassing. It was it was an absolute joke. I mean, I know it's only one game, but they just they were not into it at all. It was just I don't think I ever heard anything come from the dugout. It's just a lot of guys just leaning over the railing. Um there was just there was just nothing going on right in that game at all. I mean, you you can't can't execute rundowns, you can't execute relays, you can't execute pickoffs, um, can't execute routine plays. I mean, look, Jordan Jordan Carrion is an elite defender, and he made a, a you know an error on a routine play, and then Ross can't get a curveball down against a nine hitter, and the kid hits his first home run of the year. 99 out of hundred times, Jordan's going to make that play and he doesn't make it there. And then, you know, Ross can't pick him up after that. And he couldn't pick Ross up in the first place. You know, Ross extended both those innings, like I said earlier, with two strike and two out hit by pitches. Can't do that. Um, you can't make that routine error. Um, you know, I know Jordan's been sick. I think Jordan seemed pretty bogged down that game and didn't look right, but I mean, you went down to Stetson a day early to go and completely lay an egg. Um, that's completely unacceptable in my opinion. Um, This team to me has a lot of inconsistencies because they're not a good fundamental baseball team. Um, At times they kind of look like a high school team when it comes to fundamentals. I mean, all year, the, 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 I mean, plays like bunt plays have been terrible. 
Um, communication's been terrible all year. Uh, I mean, you got pop-ups dropping in between four guys. Um, it's it's just really frustrating to watch at times. Like it's it, it shouldn't be that hard to do some of these things. I mean, how how are we in how are we at May fifth and we can't execute a rundown? Um, like how are we like still missing cutoff guys on May 5th? It's just, it's really concerning things to me where I'm like, these are things that need to be figured out by now. And they haven't been figured out in the last however many years. It's just, it's really worrisome. Um, I mean, there was absolutely no energy there on Tuesday at all. Um, I thought the, I think there were seven called third strikes and I get it. The ump was bad. hundred percent was terrible. Guess what? hundred percent of college umpires are terrible and you're going to get horrible umpires in the postseason. And I know it's stats in midweek game, but like at some point, someone's got to be tough and fight off some pitches that are anywhere near the zone because you know, you're going to get rung up. So do you want to try to foul them off or do you just want to get rung up by the ump and complain about it again? Like it's just, and that's not the first time this year where I felt like an umpire kind of just took it out of them and just like, they didn't want to hit because of the umpire. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, there's days where it's frustrating as all get out. And there's certain things that are a constant game after game um, with the fundamental parts of baseball. And that's just really, really concerning to me. And why couldn't that be the game? that rained and lightninged in the fourth inning. Like why did it have to be the Sunday game where Florida state's up a run and the offense looks pretty good and you have a chance for a high RPI sweep. Anyway, I said I wouldn't talk about it. I'll say one more thing about this. All right. My thing with the energy is like, all right, I get it. It's Stetson. Sure. You're Florida state. You probably should beat Stetson. Um, And you probably go in there and say, no, we're just going to take care of business. But like at the end of the day, Tennessee is very good, not just because they're very talented, but because they want to beat everyone's, you know what? They want to beat the crap on everyone. And every game they go in and they, they try to win by 10-plus runs, no matter who they're playing. FSU goes into these midweek games and it just feels like, hey, we're just here to do what we do. This is – we should beat these teams, so let's just go out and play. But it's like you got to go and – you got to want to bury teams at some point. If you feel like you're a lot better than them, then go show you're a lot better than them. Don't get, don't put up an, an egg. Like zero, the last two trips to Stetson, you've been no hit and you've had two hits. I, I, got, I don't know. It's In front never, of- never travel to Stetson again, please. And don't go a day early again. If you're going to do that. In front of what? Definitely over a thousand Seminole fans that there were there. Might have been three Stetson fans there. I saw the shots from the the wide angle of the camera. Man, those guys came to watch y'all play. You know, like there's a lot of Seminole fans and kids that were in the Central Florida area that circled that date because they knew the Seminoles were coming to town, and they have no other way to come watch you play. I just anyway. I said I'm moving on. I'm moving on, Brett. Boston College. Uh, you got three games, similar trash RPI team. Um, this is a conference series though, and it's going to be a weird series and that there won't be that many fans at these games. You're going to have to bring your own energy. You're going to be in a ballpark that isn't going to look that nice comparative to some of the other ones that you've played in this year. 
But it's nonetheless, Brett, I think an extremely, extremely important series for Florida State if they want any prayer of hosting a regional. I said earlier in the week, if you want to feel good, you had to go three and one this week against Stetson and Boston College. Well, you dropped the one. You're going to need a sweep against Boston College. I think two of three doesn't kill you, but you're going to drop in the RPI another five to 10 spots if you lose a game this week, in my opinion. So I think you need a sweep, man. That's a lot to ask, but it's doable. Boston College is not good. They were just, I believe they were just swept recently. They just beat Notre Dame once. But that's a team that I hope Florida State goes in and takes care of business. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world world, like if you dropped only one, but I mean, it would be really, really tough to get a regional, like you said, and maybe even not possible because, I mean, even if you win all three games, you're probably going to at best stay steady in RPI. I mean, FSU took two or three last year from BC. They lost on Sunday, and I think, it, it you know, when the series was over, they had dropped like 15 spots in the RPI or something. I know RPI was dumb last year, but that one game that they lost felt like a huge reason that they were a, a three seed in, in postseason play. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a BC team that I also don't think is just like, you're just going to walk right over them. You got to go over, you got to go up there and you're going to have to provide your own energy because there's probably not going to be that many people there either. Um but I mean, BC is probably, they've been in all these games recently in ACC play and no, they haven't won a bunch of them, but I mean, they give, they give Notre Dame a handful. Um, you know, I think it's a team that can really hit uh, and their Friday starter has been solid as of late. Um, so it's not a, it's not like a cakewalk or anything like that, especially the way that FSU's played in the road this year. Um, but like you said, I feel like a sweep, it, it, it's really needed at this point. Um to still keep your chances alive at, you know, at a regional host. If you had beaten Stetson, you could have said two of three, I think would be acceptable. Right. But you lose one of these games. I think you're asking yourself to finish against Miami and Boston college uh, against, sorry, Miami and North Carolina with like a five and one record, right? Like in the ACC or, you know, I think actually that's probably true. Like you're going to probably, if you can't sweep Boston college, you're putting your, a lot of pressure on yourself to have to be really good in the final two weekends. Um, looking at this BC team, Brett, they're 17 and 27, four and 20 in the ACC, but they do have an offense. It's a pretty good lineup, especially top heavy. I think Luke Gold has been a name, a draftable name for a couple of years now that scouts have really liked. Um, Vetrano has been there a long time. And is starting to hit at a pretty high level. They've got some pop in Cameron Leary's bat too. And uh, there are a couple guys here that have been at Boston College for four to five seasons. And they're veterans. And they've played in this league a long time. And they can get hot on a given weekend, especially at home. But you kind of hope Parker Messick, Bryce Hubbard, and whoever pitches the third game are able to neutralize this lineup. Yeah, it's it's definitely a better lineup than most people would guess, I think. Um, Luke Gold, he, he played for us up in Katuit. It's He's, I think he's going to be a major league hitter. Um, he barely strikes down. He puts the ball in play a ton and impacts the ball. I mean, 19 doubles this year, seven homers. Um, I'm sure if he played somewhere warmer, he'd probably have 
a lot more homers too. Um, he's a really, really good hitter. Um, Joe Fatrano has 13 homers this year and he hits 328. Um, Cameron Leary is a, is a power guy for the most part, strikes down a lot, but has 15 home runs. Um, and Parker Landwehr is another guy at the top of the order for them that's hit pretty well this year with hit 308 average. Um, they do hit a good bit of homers, uh, 62 homers this year. Bottom of their order is pretty thin. They don't have a ton back there. Um, Travis Honeyman has also been good this year, but I think he missed some time with injury. Um, he's hitting 362 um, in 34 games. Um, Barry Walsh, he's not a great hitter, but he's probably the best defensive center fielder in the league. Um, I feel like every week BC at least posts one highlight of him making an insane play in center. Uh, that guy takes away a lot of hits. Huh. Yeah, he, I mean, I, I remember watching the Miami series they played and he took away three hits in one inning, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so they do have some talent with the bats. They definitely can't. You can't go in there and just expect to just run right through their lineup, uh, especially that top of the order with Gold in there and, and Vetrano and, and, and Leary. Um, all three of those guys have pop and all three of those guys uh, also get on base. Um, I mean, they lose games because they have no pitching, really. Uh, they still score a ton of runs most, for the most part. Um, I mean, I think this past weekend at Notre Dame, they scored 10 in, 10 in the Sunday game and lost because of a bunch of errors. <coughs> Excuse me. They all scored seven. I think they put up some runs on Bertrand on, on Friday at Notre Dame. Um, so we'll see. Um, but on the mound, it's, it's, it's a really rough situation um, for Boston College. 7-1-2 ERA as a team and a 289 average against. Um, that's a little rough. They've been a disaster on the mound and in the field. I mean, 964 as a team is, yeah, it's bad. Is it artificial turf up there? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah, and, and it's going to play a little different. So FSC is going to have to be uh, aware of that and get up there and practice on that on that surface. But, Brett, man, I, you know, I come on here and I have a measured response most weeks and I try to be, I try to toy that line, toe that line and, and make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm being fair. You should sweep Boston college. I, I don't think I usually call for that, but if you want to achieve what this team is capable of, then this is a weekend you need to go up there and play really well and, and win three. That's not a good Boston college team. It's really not. And it's, it's bad for their standards. Uh, Gambino's have had some really good teams in the past that have pushed postseason. Some have made postseason. This is not that team. This is a, I don't really even know how much more time Gambino has as the head coach of Boston college. Um, and they've they not been good. They just can't pitch at all the last two years. I mean, I, you know, last year, you know, Pelio was supposed to be a really good Friday guy and just became nothing. And I mean, again, this year he's nothing. Um, you know, Joe Mancini for them is their Friday guy. He's been, you know, pretty good these last three starts. He had one, you know, really bad start this year against Pitt where he gave up nine runs where that's really killed his ERA for the most part. Um, four, six, seven ERA on the year. But each of his last three starts against three good teams, NC State, Virginia Tech, and Notre Dame, he's gone seven innings and given up two or less runs. Actually give up no earned runs against Notre Dame um, despite giving up 10 hits. Um, for the most part is, is, you know, pitches to contact. Um, uh, and their, their Saturday guys, Henry Leak, he has a six, seven, five ERA. He's only started four games this year. Sunday is TBD. Um, 
Max Gig is, is, is one of their better arms uh, out of the pen. Um, he also <laughs> was in Katuit this summer. Has really good stuff, just really struggles with command. 18 walks and 21 innings, but only he's given up one point. I mean, only has a 129 ERA. Brendan Coffey is, the, is their closer as of late. Um, 259 ERA in 24 innings. Um, so they have a couple arms they go to often out of the pen that have been solid. Um, but they're, they're, there's there's really no depth with with BC. Um, if you get to starters early and you make them throw a lot of arms, you have to feel really good about your chances. Um, no matter the lineup you really have, um, there's some really, really ugly numbers on this pitching staff for them. Yeah, the elite kid that you just mentioned transferred from Babson College, Division Three. He's a graduate student. That's that. That's the. Those are the answers for Boston College. Is like going into a weekend and a, div, a former D three pitcher, and I know he's pitched. He's had some decent performances for them this year, but like, come on, y'all. You know, and, who's, do you know who's running that pretty good offense for BC? Mr. Tyler Holt. Mm-hmm. It's almost yeah. like him and James Ramsey know what they're doing. They were taught a thing or two. And Rammer, uh, Rammer just got promoted to associate head coach. Did you see that? Yeah. Uh, all their coaches got extended. I think I've said it on here before. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Rammer. I think he's going to be an absolute star in the coaching industry. Yeah, I think T Holt's going to be really good too. I think T Holt, um, thing about Tyler is he just, he coaches the way, same way he played with that intensity and, um, He's been really good for them so far as their hitting coach. It's been cool to see that for him. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's the Boston College preview, I think. Um, 5.30 Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday, 1 o'clock, am I right, on Sunday? Weird game times this weekend. Yeah, I believe, believe 2 o'clock is supposed to be on ACC Network Saturday. So you'll have one national TV game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that'll be, uh, I don't really know why AC network picked that one up, but we'll definitely take it in this control room era where you can just kind of not have to send a truck out. You can just kind of do whatever you want. So yeah. we'll take it in three games, Florida state need a sweet man. Of RBI course, right. 15 right now with a strength of schedule of, of four. Yeah. The strength of schedule will probably drop a little bit this weekend. Um, I believe we have um, 12 games left, correct? Uh, the five of them are against quad three teams, and the rest of them are all against quad one. So at the end of the day, it will even out, and I think it will stick in top ten at, at worst for the strength of schedule. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's uh, quickly wrap up with some postseason picture for Florida State right now. We mentioned the RPI and the strength of schedule. Um. You're a regional. I mean, you're right on the bubble for a regional host. I mean, uh, I saw the stock reports from some various websites, and the Knolls, I think, are, are battling with about four or five other teams to to try and get some of those last regional spots. And um, Louisville, Oregon, Virginia, LSU, Gonzaga are some of the teams right now that are not, you know, penciled in or, or penned in as regional hosts. They're they're lightly penciled in. And so those are the teams you're trying to beat out. Uh, when I look at Florida State and Louisville specifically, I, I like where Florida State stands just from the RPI metrics. I know and sweeping Louisville head-to-head, Louisville's got a much better ACC record right now. 
which I think gives them a little bit of a, of an edge. But I think if you can mitigate that gap just a little bit in terms of conference record, which is why I think a sweep this weekend would be huge to go to 14 and 10 in the ACC. You can at least make the case over Louisville that you have better metrics and a head to head sweep, which is loud. So I, I feel good about where FSU stands there. Uh, TC, yeah. another one. And I think you feel good about that because you have the, the head to head over them. Um, Virginia, you didn't play. And I think you're rooting for Oregon, LSU, and Gonzaga to maybe have some poor weekends here down the stretch. The thing with Louisville is they probably have the toughest schedule left in the ACC. Um, you know, they travel to Wake Forest this weekend and then, you know, two series at home in the year, but Virginia Tech and Virginia, who are both, you know, top 15 teams and Virginia Tech's probably the hottest team right now. Um, my, I, I have a slight worry that, you know, a really long top of the fourth inning on Sunday costing you a win is going to cost you. I mean, that could be really big. That third game against TCU, I mean, if that top of the fourth inning isn't as long as it was, you probably feel like you get in the five-inning game there with a win. Um, and, man, a, a three-game sweep of TCU would have been really, really loud. You know, a two-game sweep is pretty loud, but a three-game sweep, that's a, that's a whole different thing, I think. Yeah, and I look at Virginia and Florida State comparatively, and uh, I was talking to some people this weekend who said it really feels like the ACC has about three to five teams battling for like one or two regional spots. Um, I mean, the way things are shaking out. So these teams have all been beating the hell out of each other this year. It's yeah. been like crazy to watch. Yeah, and I say Louisville. Louisville's fourteen and seven in the ACC. They're a full three games ahead of you. So. So three of their three of their seven losses in ACC came in, in Tallahassee. Yeah, and that's why I think if you mitigate that gap, you have a major argument. Virginia and Florida State are pretty neck and neck in the RPI. Strength of schedule favors Florida State by a lot, um, and their conference record is fourteen and ten instead of eleven and ten. So um, that's another one you're looking at. I know NC State's in the picture, and Georgia Tech's also hovering right there. And obviously, Georgia Tech has. Georgia Tech has that head-to-head against you, so you would you wouldn't mind them kind of melting down there uh, towards the end or, or having a bad weekend over the final two. But do you get do you get the feeling, Brett, that ACC tournament, if some of these teams have to face each other again, might make the difference? Yeah, I think advancing in the ACC tournament is going to be a big deal. I mean, we'll definitely know more when we get to that point. But to me, right now, you know, it feels like you know if, if it's if it's four of the whoever advances from that group of three to five teams that you mentioned or gets to the finals of the ACC is probably going to solidify themselves. Um, you know, the good thing is you do have some head to head over some of these other teams like that are on the bubble, uh, even Georgia Southern, like uh, a team like that, that's right in the bubble, like FSU is and Louisville, like we mentioned. Um, and you have another opportunity to against Miami, you have it over TCU already. Um, so you've set yourself up, against some of these other bubble teams, I mean, NC state as well. Um, so, you know, it, there's still hundred percent a chance to host a regional hundred percent, a path to host a regional, which at the end of the day, it's all you can ask for to begin May. So take what you can get, I think. And truthfully in college baseball this season, other than like Tennessee, I don't really see another team that's like, 150% hosting a regional. Like any everybody could have 
weird ends to the season. I know people love Notre Dame and Miami right now in the ACC, but like that you beat Miami two out of three and now you've got a feather in your cap against them. And Miami started to fade a little bit too down the stretch though, uh, over the last couple of weeks. So a lot left to be played. Miami plays three games against North Dakota state this weekend. I would love for them to lose one of them. What in the world? That'd be nice. Uh, Brett, you want to answer it real quick? Some, uh, some fan questions. We'll just take two or three. I know we've been on this pod a little bit. We're kind of getting closer to the hour mark. Um, I'll ask them to you if you want to answer them. I'm only going to pick uh, a couple Go for and, it. and we'll save some of them for another episode next week. Um, here's one. Despite all the changes from last year, is this team the same net result, but just more reliant on the small ball instead of home runs? Feels like Robbie Martin and Elijah Cabell just happen to now be named Logan Lacey and Alex Terrell, for example. It feels like the same crazy defensive lapses are happening. What's your thoughts? I, I, I think for the most part, it's like I talked about earlier, the most consistent thing is fundamental baseball. It's, it's, it's not like you're not playing good in certain areas. You're not playing well in certain areas that you need to. You just you can't do some of the things that they've been doing when it comes to the defense and other things like base running, like, and try just getting bunts down. Like there's certain things that just, they need to be routine. You need to make routine things look routine. And this team has not done that the last two years. Um, I still think this team is, is much deeper, much better than last year's team though, to be honest. Um, last year's team. I mean, if you take Matt Nelson off that team, that team is, not making the tournament. Um, and, you know, I feel like Parker's been even better this year. Um, you know, you've gotten some more out of Bryce. Um, you know, the thing you're missing this year, I think, is, is your Connor Grady. Um, you're missing that consistency on, on Sunday that he gave you last year. I think FSU's actually been better in midweek games this year, which is kind of weird to say, but, man, they were so bad in midweeks last year. Um, and the thing last year was that RPI was so weird. Um, at the end of the day, I still think this team is much more complete. It's just missing that. It's missing that Nelly. It's missing that stup- superstar player that takes you over the top. Um, but yeah, it definitely concerns me that in certain areas, there's, there's just, there's not improvement. Like the defense, like if you match it up player to player wise con- compared to last year, at most positions, you're better. At the end of the day, your feeling percentage is, the same because you're making errors on, on, on dumb plays, like on stuff that just like, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. All right. One more here. Uh, how do you explain the losing record on the road? Um, I think it's just energy. I don't know. I don't know if there's anything other than that that you can say, because like, to me, it's two things, actually. It's energy and, like, not staying calm, whether that is players or whether that's management moves. It feels like things are sped up sometimes um, on the road. I mean, still the only real road environment you've played in this year was Clemson, and you crumbled, completely crumbled on Sunday. I mean, Stetson wasn't a way game for sure. It wasn't at Dick Hauser, but – you played in front of 98% Florida state fans. Um, I mean, Georgia tech's not a huge ballpark and 
it was probably mostly split between FSU and Georgia Tech fans. Um, so yeah, I, I it's just like I said earlier, it's just so weird because they were so they were really good on the road last year, and you felt like they were going to be good on the road this year after they set the tone at Wake Forest. Um, maybe I'm the issue. I think we're two and eight this year when I travel. So maybe I shouldn't go to Boston College, but I already booked all my plans, so I'll be there. Um, but yeah, it's just. I just think they need to somehow, some way, find their own energy, their own edge, that chip on your shoulder. Somehow, I, if you need, I don't know. You just need something. You need something to get you going and, and spark something when it comes to these road games. You need somebody to just step up and absolutely ignite the the dugout. Like, yeah, um, you just you got to go to BC and you got to bring your own energy, or else. I mean, that park's probably not going to be very lively at all. I mean, when it comes to fans, I don't you even know. Go up the there. What's the weather this weekend? Is it sometimes it's, like, it's, it's in the fifties and low and high forties, I think. Okay. Not terrible for that, for that park in that area. Um, one more, this will be the last one. Um, someone asked about the bullpen and how it shakes out. Um, and if there are any defined roles, but I feel like we've touched on that throughout this, this pod on what we think and where we're at. So why the secrecy with Tyler's injury question mark? And also what do we need to do to get a regional in tally and how likely is it? Um, Brad, I mean the Tyler Tyler's battle the shoulder and I don't, you know, we, we've said it on here. It's not a hundred percent yet. He's good enough to play, but um, he's more toughing it out at times. And now there's that new, the, the new, is it the heel or the foot that's given him a, a problem too? I don't know how secret it is. I don't, I don't feel like meat's been that secretive with it. I, I don't really know what's going on there, to be completely honest. Um, there's days where it seems like Tyler is 100% healthy, and the next day he's not. Um, it's a very day-to-day situation. I don't know why. Um, you know, I know the heel is bothering him a little bit. They've had a couple guys with heel in- injuries this year. Um, who was the other one? Monty was the other one. Montgomery had it early in the year. Um, Tyler was wearing a boot on his left foot. Um, on Tuesday at Stetson was un, unavailable, but I mean, I, I, he still can't throw, which I don't completely understand. I know there were a setback or two there just cause just in the chronological order of what I saw, I mean, early in February, he was throwing 120 feet and then he was shut down for a while throwing wise. And now he's kind of back to that lobbing 120 feet. So I don't know. I don't know what the whole situation with situation with Tyler is. Um, end of the day is whether he's completely healthy or not, you know, he's going to give you good at bats just because of the hitter he is and how he sees pitches. Um, and he's going to get on base no matter what. Um, you know, I think they're six and six when Tyler starts this year, um, or something like that. Um, what was the other question that was in there? And then about how do we get to a regional and, you know, we've talked about it, I think a little bit with the breakdown, but you got to win three this weekend. I think, I mean, you got to, and you got to get a series win against Miami and you can't get swept in North Carolina basically. And you, you, you can't lay an absolute egg like you did at AC tournament last year in your first game. Cause you know, I still think that was a big reason why I I mean, we went up there and absolutely blanked against Duke and it was kind of embarrassing too, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just got to play. You just got to play good baseball. You got to take care of business. You got to go up to BC and take care of business. You got to 
you got to play with energy against Miami at home. And, and, and you know, I don't think we're going to see what happened last year, but you do need to take a series from them. Um, and you, you can't drop two games to Jacksonville in a doubleheader. I'll tell you that. And you got one more against Florida too on the road, which RPI wise might end up being pretty big. So I, I think that Florida game gives you an opportunity where even if you lose it, you're probably not going to drop an RPI, but if you win it, it could be a big boost. Which is why like, I say you need a sweep this weekend because even just two out of three and winning the series, I think adds some pressure onto you to have to pick one up somewhere else, if that makes sense. So, all right, well, Brett, uh, travel safe, my friend. Uh, get up there and, and enjoy some some chowder and some Boston cream pie and hopefully a sweep. And um, yeah, thanks for thanks for being available to do this. Uh, thanks for the listeners. Apple Pods, we're on Spotify. I uh, thank you those for those of you who asked questions. Uh, keep sending it our way. We'll, we'll try and maybe even designate uh, an episode next week to where all we do is answer your questions, or majority of it will be questions based. And uh, Brett and I will be back early next week and hopefully Florida state has got a sweep over Boston college. And we can talk about how big of a series that Miami weekend is going to be for FSU. And, and if that makes a difference, but Brett, any final thoughts before we say goodbye? All good. All right, man, we'll be safe. And until we talk to you next week, he's Brett Nevitt. I'm Mario Masudi, And this was Sunday golds.